You are listening to Mark Hatmaker Rough and Tumble Raconteur. This is a grab bag of old school Western martial arts, resurrected indigenous ways and empirical musings tinged with a heavy dose of respect, admiration, let's call it hero worship, for these hosses of yore. Crew, this is Mark Hadmaker coming to you from the Comancheria. Today, let's discuss the hazards of uh, mongrel systems, or the possible hazards of mongrel systems. There's not always a hazard there. And by mongrel, we're talking about the Heinz 57 variety, whatever your dog breeds, which you've got no specific pedigree. We could also discuss it as eclectic systems or uh, arts or, or models of systems. And, you know, basically where we have someone who's with good intent is to pick and select the best of tactics and strategies from fighting systems and uh, leave behind things they consider unessential and then put them together into the best thing. And um, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. Now, again, let's illuminate that target for the martial musings. I mean, any again, any art that claims to be an amalgamation of the best of others. It's creating that streamlined hybrid that is, in essence, superior to the holes they were borrowed from. You know, well-known amalgamations are such as Jeet Kune Do and Keiju Kimbo come to mind, but there are myriad professed best of floating around in the combat universe. Now, now before we go any further... Let me be absolutely clear. Our discussion today is not targeting any mongrel system in particular or casting aspersions on the concept of wise amalgamations. Not at all. Many best of systems are indeed just that, very wise blends of desired elements that fit the carte blanche menu of the intended combatant at hand. Okay, now... That said, what we are addressing is the choosing of the elements. In other words, we must examine not just the elements that made the cut, but go deeper and analyze the chooser of the prime cuts. Any possible bias or potential deficits, you know, blind spots in the chooser's eye are going to inflict, uh, inflict themselves upon that very system. Um, We'll leave matters martial here in just a moment. Let's kind of riff a little bit. Let's think about history. Uh, you know, history, the, we can take the, uh, the highly controversial 1619 project running around, or we can take a look at history uh, written in, from the, uh, we could say at the libertarian conservative point of view by Paul Johnson. And we can take a look at the history of like the People's History of the United States written by Howard Zinn, definitely uh, a leftist take on history. We can take a look at uh, you know, Das Kapital by Karl Marx. We can continue on and look at all various histories and so many of these that people kind of pick and choose with, uh, they've picked and chosen their facts. And often the facts they've chosen are indeed correct. The idea, though, is how you reweave them together into a narrative to perhaps fit uh, the taste of the person putting together the, the history or trying to fit a particular audience uh, for that history. And sometimes just the mere, uh, by mere dint of choosing select facts and excluding others, you create something that may not hew as closely to the truth as uh, you may like. So you've got to be very careful about what you're picking up, what you're looking at. Now, again, this way, everything, all the historians and historical works I just mentioned, I Again, I'm not casting aspersions there either. The key is to think about we have histories that you can have be conflicted, and they're all using pretty much facts that are correct. Now, they might be out of order, poorly misinterpreted, or to your own taste, they might be poorly misinterpreted, uh, and then, uh, you know, overlaid with their own little bit of philosophical dent. Same thing can happen with these Mongol systems. Now, let's get uh, leave history behind, jump back over here to the idea of combat of arts. But we're going to leave the individual combat arts and sciences for a moment. We're going to look to combat writ large to make our point. Okay? Now, we're going to play a thought experiment here. Me and you. 
Now we're going to go back uh, to 1940s. Me and you, uh, in the midst of World War II, have been chosen to plan, will assist in planning the massive D-Day invasion. And we've been asked to find the best way to go about doing this. Now again, uh, we're the planning staff, we're on the committee, we go to work. This is a mighty massive endeavor, and we, we better think, make sure we get this stuff right. I mean, the lives are on the line. Now, if we're entrusted to make the plans for such an invasion and task to analyze the best developments that go to maximizing our chances for success in storming Fortress Europe, we might assemble a list that looks something like, uh, well, one, we need to assess the needed uh, troop numbers for deployment. That makes sense. Uh, next, we need to choose beaches and airdrops for maximal strategic advantage of said deployment. That makes sense. Uh, we need to create a training template for each landing element that accurately realizes the environment and resistance they might expect to face surmount. Again, makes sense. Uh, we'll also need to assign the precise armament for the precise microenvironment. I would go on to say you're going to have to provide, get the quartermaster corps to make sure we're going to well, make sure everyone's equipped, whatever they need, whether it's first aid, uh, how much water, how much food, and, and make sure we can get to supply lines and set things up. We're, we're probably cooking with gas. They were pretty good and good, uh, good to go. So far, our best of list is off to a rousing start. Now, feel free, take a moment right now on your own, add your own best of items to this list before you continue listening to what I've got to say. Just give yourself a moment, think. What else would you put there? All right, no, that's a short moment there, but uh, did you finish your list or get a few more in there? Well, good on you. Now, let us continue. Did your list also include weather reports for each of the planned landing and drop zones that must serendipitously coincide for air, land, and sea weather? I mean, just because you've got maybe perhaps good weather for flying and airdrops, let's say uh, over the middle of France, it doesn't mean that the, the, the ocean weather is where it needs to be up to snuff, uh, on and on. All these things have to coincide. Did you factor in your title charts and timing the, uh, the timing of the tides that ensure landing craft are net left high and dry? Or at the opposite end, you got a spring tide so high that landing craft cannot make landing, and that's going to leave these heavily weighted soldiers to drown in the struggle and make the, uh, as they try to make their water way to the beaches. I mean, this happens in landings, uh, and good planning makes sure this doesn't. Did you factor in crosswinds, headwinds, tailwinds of visibility for drop zones to better coincide support and timing for the airdrop troops? Uh, did, did you examine carefully for inland terrain so that we do not drop weighted soldiers into thick bramble, harsh mires, or baldly open ground that will impede movement, eat energy, and resolve or offer too much exposure? Uh, let me ask, did you consult the geologist's report that tell you that this beach right here and its strand of silt will ensure that tanks and all landing vehicle become hopelessly mired? rather than looking further at the other reports and finding where the more solid ground for tire and tread lies. Our best stuff list for the invasions, of course, could continue, but I ask honestly, how many of these seemingly non-combat elements that are of paramount combat importance did you factor in? Most of us usually stop at the big sexy things. We look at the front, we see what the combat of the, the big, the, the big eye-drawing things uh, to the show, and that's what we want to, to work on. I also asked, did you foresightfully employ resistance members before the invasion and pour over the intelligence reports from these resources to find out who was successful and who was not in their endeavors? I mean, such information is of utmost importance in choosing targets and force assignments. To eliminate this point, I'm going to offer this following extraction. This is from Paul Carroll's Invasion, They're Coming, which was written in 1963. It's in a, a history of the D-Day invasion, but uh, interestingly, it was written from uh, what we would call the opposite point of view, the axis point of view, but it still is, uh, very much informs what we're looking for here. So here's the extract. Quote, 
A quarter of an ounce of sugar, just three lumps, dropped into the water of a concrete mixer was enough to rob 200 weights of concrete of its strength. For if calcium combines with sugar instead of with carbon dioxide, a readily soluble calcium saccharide is formed. Thus, if a member of the French resistance succeeded in getting himself employed by the Germans near a concrete mixer, he could cause extensive damage to the defenses by dropping quite small quantities of sugar into the mix or into the stored materials. The concrete shield of a gun emplacement or the roof slab of a dugout might be sufficiently weakened to crumble like sandstone if hit by a shell." Unquote. Now, resources and fire directed to these known weaknesses allows one to deploy resources accordingly. Now, I want us to really think hard about this. Be honest, the best of lists for invasion preparation could go on and on with these myriad factors that most people don't have readily available to them and don't assume right up front. As we get deeper into best of choices, we begin to see how much the sexy visible facts of cool armament and board game troop movements is actually bolstered just as much by the myriad unsexy behind the scenes science and wisdom. All right, now let's leave history and historians behind and let's leave uh, this, the big world of combat and bring it back down to the individual level, these impersonal systems that we're looking at, individual combat. The chooser of best reveals the expertise of the chooser. Now, in our prior scenario, the officer who proffered the opening bare minimum list and stopped there, they'd be drummed out of the planning commission ASAP. Surface expertise is worse than no expertise in matters of violence. The same may well hold true in the smaller sphere of individual combat. Surface choosing of the best will often fall prey to the extraordinary bias, that is, park on the big event and elevate its importance while devaluing the more common, perhaps more essential elements. Uh, the extraordinary bias is, it comes from cognitive psychology, and of course, as you know, the Stoics have been talking about it forever. It's uh, some people say who, who love to swim in the lake but do not want to swim at the beach because they fear sharks because they've seen a film or they've heard the news reports and they're thinking, yeah, that can happen to me. Of course, the, the shark is the big, sexy, extraordinary fact that comes to mind, even though most people, if there's the main hazard of swimming, it's drowning. And if you've got no problem swimming in the pool, swimming in the lake, swimming in the ocean, the, uh, the, the shark attack is also a, a nil thing to worry about. You, don't, you can just might as well, you know, minus that out. But again, extraordinary bias brings that up front, and we're ignoring uh, actual data to go with something that's bigger and then uh, misassessing risk all, all down the line. Now, let's again, let's get this back to the combat here. Uh, for example, in grappling, what led to the victory? Was it the rear naked choke? The one that excites our eye and becomes paramount in our new best of systems? We see this and think, yeah, this is the shark attack. We got to use it. Or, we're looking carefully, was it the scrupulous bisecting ride slash scramble with invisible knee checking that permitted the rear naked choke to occur in the first place? In other words, it's a good positioning and control from the word go that really spells these submissions that are coming out. We often just look to these end things. We look at the period on the sentence. We look at the exclamation mark and think, ah, that's the entire sentence. And of course, no, the entire sentence, it's not there. There's subject, there's predicate, there's verbs, there's adverbs. I mean, there's so much more going on. We got to make sure we don't just fall for one little piece of punctuation. We must understand the competence of our chooser dictates our best. Now, for a striking example, now is it the highlight real worthy lead hook that dropped the opponent in the third round that deserves our best of attention? Or was it their off-the-rails footwork positioning that consistently stole power from the opponent from the very beginning, you know, and uh, kiboshing their own work that set the stage for that lead hand that actually ended the drop? Again, do we mistake the exclamation mark for and ignore the rest of the sentence there? Again, the competence of our chooser dictates our best. 
And in a weapons example, let's say uh, we're playing around the battle axes or two-hand tomahawk, tomahawks. Now, was it the badass battle axe with the heavy head that finally did in the opponent? Or was it the proper use of facing stance work if each swing that minimized wrist deflection and that would have led to the same victorious outcome if the axe wielder had been using the display-worthy battle axe that we all think is sexy when I hang on the wall or a cheap single-bit axe we picked up at Home Depot? Now, I repeat, the competence of our chooser dictates our best. I'm also going to repeat, best of systems are likely the utmost in wisdom. That is no, no, I have no doubt about that. Picking and choosing, but we've got to make sure we have utter faith in the wisdom of a person doing the choosing. Because as they hack away the unessential and emphasize the essentials, the struggle is the intellect that selects the purported wheat from chaff. Unfortunately, until we possess our own expert eye, it can be hard to tell what is solid concrete and what is soluble sugar. All right, crew, take care of yourselves. If you've liked such musings, of course, listen more to the podcast or have a look at the Indigenous Ability blog or head over to the Black Box Training Warehouse over there at ExtremeSelfProtection.com or even sign up for our subscription service. Where? What is that? That's a hard copy training syllabi, you know, hard copy video lessons each and every month. It's kind of like gym fees, but in some cases, a lot cheaper. And again, take care of yourselves. Well, if you dig what we just discussed today, uh, I'd like to invite you to like and subscribe to the podcast. Hell, support it if you want. I'm not your dad. Do what you want. And if you're a glutton for punishment, uh, just visit our website, ExtremeSelfProtection.com. You'll find links to the blog, all of our products, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more pages of like musings. <laughs>